My name is Dennis Sheeran. And this is Raymond Steinmetz. And we are from the Instant Relevance Podcast. We are proud members of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you are listening to right now. Make sure you check out all of the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready, because the learning begins in three, two, one. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and my special guest today is Dr. Young Zhao, an internationally known scholar, author, and speaker who specializes in the implications of globalization and technology in education. The author of more than 100 articles and 20 books, Dr. Zhao speaks around the world on educational issues particularly those related to globalization, creativity, global competitiveness, educational reform, and educational technology. He was named one of the 10 most influential people in educational technology in 2012 by the journal Tech and Learning. His current book is titled, What Works May Hurt, Side Effects in Education, and you can buy a copy wherever books are sold. Dr. Zhao is the director of the Institute for Global and Online Education, in the College of Ed at the University of Oregon, where he's also a professor in the Department of Educational Measurement, Policy, and Leadership. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at YoungZhaoED and visit his website at ZhaoLearning.com. As always, folks, thanks for listening. Be sure to share out this episode on social media with the Reimagined Schools hashtag. You can also follow me on Twitter at Dr. Greg Goins or follow the podcast at RSPodcast underscore. And don't forget, you can always find past episodes at our website at reimaginedschools.net. With this episode, I'm also very excited to announce that the Reimagined Schools podcast is now a proud member of Voice Ed Radio, a 24-7 internet-based radio station dedicated to both broadening and deepening the conversations around education. Check out the site, which streams from the Great White North in Canada at voiced.ca. I hope you enjoy this episode with Dr. Young Zhao. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm thrilled to have a very special guest with us today. He's one of the world's leading voices in education reform and the movement to globalize education as we welcome in Dr. Young Zhao. How are you, sir? Great. Thanks, Greg. You have done some incredible work. Uh, you've written a countless number of books and articles, and uh, you've been called a futurist and a thought leader. Uh, as you think about those terms, what is it that you're most passionate about as you go out and, and write and speak about uh, this idea that we have to create better schools? Well, I think, you know, uh, another term people use to me is like a uh, provocateur. You know, I think people think I'm just trying to provoke some kind of thinking. Uh, I, I like that uh, because I think a lot of times, you know, uh, we are kind of stuck in the trenches of the past. So we have been on the improving schools agenda for a long time, uh, but that has not really worked either in terms of closing the achievement gap or raising even the basic uh, you know, literacy and numeracy, we've been 
trying to improve our scores for for too long, I would say improving the past does not serve the future. Plus, you know, we really haven't been able to improve. So a lot of my my research, my writing, my talking is really about trying to provoke people to think, what if we invented something new? Maybe we can invent the past problems away and deal with problems we have to deal with in the future. And, you know, I've been a big fan of your work for some time, and I, I really kind of became a super fan when I had a chance to see you live. Uh, you were the keynote at the ISTE conference in 2012 in San Diego, and, and I want to talk about that a, a little bit, too, as we continue the conversation. But I want to begin with, with your background, and you really come from humble beginnings in your home country there in China. And can you talk a little bit about your personal education experience as a child growing up? And then how were you able to um, overcome some of those obstacles and end up in the middle of America at uh, University of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana? Well, uh, thanks, Greg. Uh, that's an a interesting journey. I may take too long to talk to recount, but I think the, the overall idea is that I did not really have much of a, uh, a formal schooling, you know, if that's called education, uh, even though we, I did go to schools. You know, I was born and raised in a little village in uh, China, in a mountainous area, quite a lot of poverty in the 1960s. And uh, they, uh, they, they, you know, that's during the Cultural Revolution. So when the school started, and uh, they, uh, the school was really more of a makeshift school, get kids in you know, one teacher, uh, kids of all ages from different villages gathered together. And that's, again, during Cultural Revolution, no textbooks, I mean, any formal textbooks, no examination. And uh, it's not uh, education as many people imagine as uh, education in China today was doing no pathway forward. And my parents are, uh, I think, uh, illiterate. So, uh, but, you know, somehow, ironically, that served me well. You know, there was, I was not trying to comply into anything. I just enjoyed being away uh, from uh, uh, doing things I wasn't good at, farming. I was a horrible farmer. And uh, so I just uh, enjoyed schooling. And uh, but the schooling again, again, it's not the formal way. So uh, just luckily, a lot of luck. I think Cultural Revolution ended. Was able to go to uh, middle school, then go into high school. Then was able to luckily pass the exam, go into college, studying to be an English teacher, and uh, taught English in China. And was become very curious about why it's so hard for people to learn language. And uh, came to uh, uh, the U.S. in 1992. As a visiting scholar, just happened to see the big, uh, uh, you know, just recent development of the internet, jumping on that, and uh, and then just decided to study more. You know, I ran at the uh, University of Illinois, I just did my PhD there with uh, uh, education technology, psychology, and as well as second language acquisition. So, sounds like a fairly, actually, smooth journey to me. And uh, it is, uh, you know, if you now look backward, uh, looking back, it might have been something, you know, kind of, well, it's almost impossible, but it was really kind of smooth. I think was able to really pursue what I was interested in, did things that I enjoyed doing. And you know, that English background has certainly served you well throughout your, your career as, as an educator and, and as mm -hmm. an English professor. Uh, and, and as I mentioned uh, in the opening, you've written so many wonderful books and articles. Uh, your recent book is titled, What Works May Hurt, Side Effects in Education. And I know you've been a a outspoken um, proponent of this idea that in, in the States, at least, uh, we're fascinated with education reform. 
So what was your, uh, your, your thinking in writing that book and how did that process come about? Well, Greg, I think that the, the, the big challenge is that now when I look at uh, uh, education reform or reformers around the world, uh, I think uh, because they were always looking for a panacea that's going to solve all people's problems. And, uh, you know, they look uh, east towards China and other East Asian countries like Japan, Korea, Singapore for for the you know, silver bullet that's going to solve our math problem, you know, and or solve our kind of achievement gap problem. You know, then they look, uh, you know, inside and look at accountability, you know, might solve our problems. But uh, uh, and they all, they, you know, in education research, they always look for randomized controlled experiments, look for what works. You know, we've been promoting those things. Uh, then so, but. There's no such thing in education as a panacea, and uh, even, but everybody still continue to look for that. And that's kind of uh, akin to the medical uh, history, you know, before modern medicine happened, uh, we, we everybody promises you this kind of little liquid is gonna cure all your disease. So uh, I began looking, I said, no, it doesn't work for everybody. And so I was looking for the side effects. When education or policymakers, uh, uh, practitioners, and researchers are looking for something that's going to deliver the best effect, we neglect to look at uh, uh, the side effects, the damages, the adverse, uh, you know, uh, negative uh, impact on people. And uh, so that's one one reason. And if you look uh, right now, actually, a lot of our prescriptions uh, trying to help the poor actually help uh, hurt the poor. And and also the other reasons I, I look at, okay. What's important in education? Even though education, a lot of times, it's, um, people try to claim it's science, which it, it is in part way, but also it's value driven because education has so many different outcomes. I look at test scores. I look at a more a healthy, happy person. I look at education as uh, uh, to equip people with the private uh, economical uh, skills so they can have a better life to be ahead of other people. Or are you also helping people to become a good, uh, I know, indigenous citizens to, who cares about the community, about the society. And those are not necessarily, don't go together. So if you look at the data, you will show that some education, some practices might help you boost your test scores, but hurt the morale of teachers and hurt the creativity, curiosity of children or sacrifice the happiness of children. So that's where I think I, I wrote in a box really as a caution to researchers, to practitioners and uh, to uh, um, policymakers to say, just stop looking for the panacea because panacea comes in and goes out. And then we have the pendulum swings. We have the, the battles or wars in math, in reading. You know, you, I'm sure you're very aware of those things. So I'm trying to caution to say, let's just be more realistic. If you want to learn from uh, medicine, uh, which education research has always trying to become, uh, I would say, what if we look at the side effects? And if we cannot get rid of them, we can make wise choices. If we cannot get rid of them, we can do something to alleviate that. So let's really move education forward uh, to look for, look for the right thing, for the right people, for the right kind of outcomes. And, you know, as a former school district superintendent, principal, and, and classroom teacher for many years in Illinois, you know, I made it through No Child Left Behind and Common Core and Race to the Congratulations. Top. Congratulations. <laughs> and all, all of these um, – you know, they, I call them sound bites because uh, with each new administration, we had a new great idea. But, you know, we, we survived. But I also I reflect and I think about we have a lost generation of bubble fillers and that to this day, we still see the harmful effects of that. 
De definitely. I mean, I think, uh, you, you know, uh, I'm, I'm so happy that uh, you have uh, survived. And uh, But you're exactly right. I think not only a generation very compliant, bubble feeders, and uh, really, uh, I also look at politically, uh, our, uh, you know, this generation of, uh, of children, uh, and I hope, you know, they are still socially engaged, civically engaged, you know, the chase after the so-called basic literacy and numeracy has really left, as you well know, our schools not caring about the person anymore, not caring about the citizen anymore. And, uh, you know, you may be able to read, but are you wise? You may be able to read, but are you analytical? Are you critical? You look at uh, the mess we're facing now in our society, you know, with all this, uh, uh, you know, this news, analytical, you know, we're not dealing with issues analytically. I mean, we are, we have become really uh, uh, a lot of times very self uh, uh, kind of wrapped individuals. And I really worry about that piece too. Another thing I worry about, you know, after No Child Left Behind is uh, the damaged, demoralized profession, you know, of, of teachers. And we've trivialized teaching as simple transmission of knowledge, as simple, you know, spoon feeding our kids and our teachers are not treated as, uh, as human beings and uh, they're treated as teaching machines. And uh, we try to, you know, uh, uh, reduce them into uh, some very engineer work uh, and not even good engineers engineer work is technicality. And I'm sure you've seen the loss of uh, passionate uh, um, or reti through retirement, passionate school leaders who knows education is much more than just getting test scores up. And, you know, there's also a fascinating discussion going on right now that, that I'm having with my colleagues, and I'm sure you are as well, about this idea that there's a difference between education reform and, and the idea that if you're going to reform something, you're going to take the existing model and try to make it better. And the flip side of that is to blow it up and completely start over. Where, where do you kind of fall on that? Well, I think, you know, there, there are different ways to do this. I, I think it's that uh, uh, we, we can't really completely say this just blow up. You know, that's not realistic. That's maybe idealistic. It's uh, we have a huge, you know, uh, um, establishment. You have schools, you have buildings, you have the structure or, uh, you know, we call the grammar of schooling that's being instilled in your mind. It's, uh, I mean, for those who are fortunate enough to build new schools, build new institutions, uh, all the power to them. I hope that uh, they will not try to emulate the past or copy the past. And But that's rare. So for most of this, I would say uh, we got to start from where we, we can. It's uh, uh, so I would, uh, you meet, to me, I mean, I think the most important thing is how do we get our kids engaged as partners of reform, as partners of change? Kids can do a lot more. So my, a lot of my recent work uh, in different countries is really has to find ways to engage children, to give them the power uh, to uh, give back their rights for self-determination so they can change, they can take control. Because I mean, a lot of times we, I mean, I'm a school, as a ex-school uh, uh, leader, you, you might know this because a lot of times when we talk about change, we begin to think about, well, who is going to do it? Where do you find, we start with PD, we start with teachers, which is, you know, nothing wrong with that. But I would say, I would should say we should start with kids. They, they actually can do a lot more. You know, one thing one, we, we want to talk about maybe is to say, just let them do something, you know. And uh, do not underestimate their power. Do not underestimate their access to information, to knowledge, to experts. And, and, and so we can do a lot. 
And I've also heard you compare uh, education reform to a GPS system. And, and we all know that if you're going to use a GPS system, you have a final destination. You, you know exactly where it is you want to go. But uh, when you talk about education reform or reimagining education, if you will, uh, you get a lot of different ideas and a lot of different answers. And when you think about 50 different states uh, uh-huh. in, in this country, I mean, that's a pretty overwhelming task to uh, create a national curriculum or to kind of get everyone on the same page. So it can't be very frustrating. Well, precisely. I mean, I think that exactly that. That's why I think the fallacy of this so-called big data, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not anti-technology. And I, I love this kind of things. But education uh, is different from instruction. Uh, it is very different from like, you know, you, your analogy of GPS is exactly you know, that it's right. Is that uh, if you know where to go uh, exactly and you're sure of that and the pathway, there's no blocks in, in, on, on the road. There's no snow, no ice, and no storm that disrupts your, your plan. That's perfect. But education is not. It's not only we have 50 uh, education systems, perhaps more than that. It's uh, we have so millions of kids who are very different is that, uh, you know, again, going back to the book, what works may hurt is what works for one may not work for another. Plus, you know, what does it mean by working? You know, like what works today in the short term uh, effectiveness, does that lead to long term benefits? It's, uh, so I think uh, we, we shouldn't forget we're dealing with the live people. You know, I have another, another analogy. I say, okay, you can throw a dead bird and project, you know, the, the kind of its trajectory. But you cannot predict, predict even through a live bird, you know. So, so we are talking about this is constantly dynamically uh, changing. The best we can do is to design more like a, a system, parameters, infrastructure, institution to support individual growth and and uh, understand individuals are self-determining individuals. They are working with each other. So everything is, is changes. So, so you know, the less prescriptive we can be the better probably because we got to understand human beings. Most of us want to do good and all of us are equipped with the ability to learn, to create. And, you know, I'm also fascinated with, with this idea that we often talk here in the States about all of our problems and all of our challenges and, and education must be fixed. You look at the PISA scores and United States of America typically does not do as well as we would like. But I've also heard you say that if you think globally, there are a lot of countries out there that really envy the American education system and want a more Western uh, education style. Well, precisely. It's very true. Uh, uh, actually, you know, you've probably seen a lot of my writings uh, are criticizing the PISA. Uh, I just had, uh, last week, I was in, uh, uh, in the UK, I was in Birmingham at a conference. I had a chance to have a kind of a debate with Andreas Schleicher, you know, who the kind of directs the PISA from OECD. We we're both on the same stage. He was talking about how PISA has really helped change the global discourse on education and making it better. I was saying, well, it's completely ruined education, possible uh, innovations. We did not really have a debate. We kind of talked past each other, but and that was a good conversation in a sense of, of a parallel play. But, you know, overall, the PISA is... Uh, it's just one single measure, like any standardized test score. It measures a few subjects, measures certain type of skills, and PISA overclaims what it measures, basically. It, it overclaims, it measures the future skills, but there's no validation. It just claim what, what they think they're measuring. Uh, I mean, they, uh, despite the long 
history of U.S. poor, poor, poor performance on any international assessment. America has never done well in international testing. But if you look at this country, is that uh, uh, it is envied by many people. That's why you see a lot of people, we call education immigrants. They all want to come to study here, want to send their kids here. American education is emulated globally as a system or as education. We don't really have a system uh, that has uh, somehow has the capacity to cultivate creative entrepreneurial inventors, you know, uh, big uh, uh, changes. In America somehow really cultivated, I would say most of the uh, technological innovations and breakthroughs and new ways of doing things uh, in, in the modern days. Uh, so, but so like, you know, many people ask, how do you, how do you cultivate a Steve Jobs? How do you uh, build, uh, produce, let's say, uh, Bill Gates? I said, well, we don't, you know. Uh, American system is never designed to actually specifically train the Nobel laureates. We just have a system that uh, we had, I would say this is before No Child Left Behind. We had a system that I think tried to give everybody a chance uh, and allowing everybody trying to pursue what they can do. And then somehow those great talents, I think, uh, emerges. It's, it's a lack of prescription. It's not really prescribed. I don't think anyone can claim, I'm going to cultivate this kid into a Steve Jobs. I don't think that's possible. And I love the Steve Jobs reference. And that's something that really resonated with me after I heard you speak at the ISTE conference several years ago there in San Diego. And, and you made the reference to uh, Steve Jobs being a black collar worker. We talk uh -huh. about white collar and blue collar but black collar is someone that doesn't wait for someone else to create opportunity. They create opportunities themselves. And, and I, I really think that's what the American school system has going for it more than anything else is, is we really uh, create a nation of innovators. And, and you've used the example of how many patent designs there are per country. And America is always at the top. But we have to value that creativity and that innovator's mindset. Uh, absolutely. I, I think, you know, like, uh, well, that's your example. I mean, for example, if you don't like something, do something about it. This is the American spirit. It's that's, uh, I mean, like, you know, you're unhappy with the education discourse, you start a podcast. You know, there's no regulation. Someone's going to shut you down, you know, in other countries. So this is the diversity of opinion, but also it is the, the kind of spirit, you know, I, mean, I wish we had more people like you. And, uh, uh, but, you know, I, I think uh, the fact that we have so many people offering different opinions is, is actually a good thing. That is the, the blue and uh, the black color kind of workers is, I like that, is that we, we don't like something, let's change it. You know, it's, uh, we have the agency to do that. But I think I would have to say, unfortunately, I think all the past 20 years of reform since No Child Behind, uh, make our school systems a lot less likely to cultivate or allow those kind of spirits to thrive anymore. I think American education actually has really lost uh, you know, two decades of, of opportunities to innovate, and we got worse than before. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. That's, that's a great point. I've also heard you talk about the Lady Gaga curriculum, and I got a kick out of that. Uh, <laughs> I've heard you talk about the fact that if you were going to design a curriculum for someone that is uh, you know, very unique, uh, very uh -huh. creative, very innovative. What would that look like? And, you know, we always fall in the trap of trying to design a, a one-size-fits-all curriculum. But if you could design a, a personalized, individualized curriculum, uh, what would that Lady Gaga curriculum look like? 
Well, I, I think uh, in my, uh, I just wrote another book. It was called The Rich for Greatness, Personalizable Education, because I don't like personalized learning. Personalized make women passive. Who, start, who does the personalization? You know? uh, so personalizable education, really, it's kind of Lady Gaga ideas. So I have an interesting metaphor I use is that, uh, you know, traditionally schools, you know, the idea of design a system that fit, uh, it's going to fit all needs is like a, build a garden, a beautiful garden, uh, a rose garden. But in a rose garden, you can only find ways to cultivate roses. Then you try to get rid of this tulips, to get rid of all other kind of carnations, uh, uh, a lot of kind of things. And that's what we, we try to do. We think we want all, all roses, we want to do that. Uh, but actually, maybe the new model would be uh, like a, a nature reserve, where every talent is worth cultivating, where every uh, every passion is worth nurturing in this way of Lady Gaga. So I would like to change the mindset first to say, we are here to provide opportunities. We're not here to measure, to prescribe. And so make education personalizable. We need a flexibility in our curriculum. We need a very broad curriculum. Uh, we need to support individual students, uh, like you were talking about, to take control of learning, to craft their own learning pathway. I really don't believe we can design a unique curriculum for every student. I think we need to understand children are very autonomous. You know, they want to take control. They want master. They want to be responsible. Give them the opportunity, nurse them into someone who is able to take advantage of the opportunities and then really design and craft something for themselves. It's a, another point I think you know, related to this one is Greg, from if you looking back in our own life, I think it's almost a, it's a lie to say we designed our life this way. So people always ask me, well, how did you choose to become educator? How did you choose to become rich? I say, well, actually not. Not many of us do have that choice. <laughs> Honestly, it's not, I don't have the knowledge or the foresight to say, I am going to do this. When I was growing up, I didn't even know America, uh, you know, the university didn't know it existed. And you know, later on, you know, I'll be talking to you. I, I think uh, adults sometimes like to think back to say, there is a straight line planned for everybody. If, if actually, if there were, that actually would be a very boring life, you know, because a lot of times it's really, we cultivate individuals with the right aptitude, attitude, so they can take advantage of different opportunities and that, you know, that may appear. My guest today is Dr. Young Zhao. He's the author of a new book, What Works May Hurt, Side Effects in Education. You certainly want to follow uh, Dr. Zhao on Twitter. You can find him at Young Zhao ED. You also want to visit his website, which is ZhaoLearning.com. I know you've also um, spent some time at the Buck Institute, and I just talked to their executive director, Bob Lenz, last week, uh, an episode that was actually released today. Project-based learning is, is something that has continued to, to gain momentum and kind of become uh, something that people are gravitating toward as, as we think about putting kids in a position to be more creative and use the four C's of critical thinking. Uh, I've also heard you say that uh, while, while you support PBL initiatives, you also also think that it's very important that at the end of those, um, those type of curriculums, that students should be able to actually produce something that's going to provide value in the world. Uh, definitely. I think uh, I know the buck I, I used to be involved with them. I think I know Bob and we, we've been talking about this, you know, uh, uh, again, you know, anything, like I said, what works might hurt, we got to think about the, the doctrine. If, I, in doc, if it's PBL is considered like a doctrine, 
I think that's dangerous. But also the, the key thing, several things I have some issues with the current version of PPL as practice in many places. You know, one, we need to start with a problem by children. You know, children start by finding problems, identifying problems that's worth solving, rather than trying to be thrown to solve a problem, to find a solution. So that always has to be based on strength and passion. And the second thing is that, you know, uh, we, we, we think a lot about PPL is just basically use a project or a process to help you learn something, which is a noble goal. But also, I want children to be also care about the product they make. You know, that is high quality. They, so through that, they can go through more uh, a refined thinking, revision, care about the quality. So I call that more product-oriented learning uh, rather than just simply PBL. It's a different version of, of things, I think, to get our children to understand the authenticity of their work, the relevance of their work, the importance of the problem. I think that's really uh, we need to add to, to update you know, PBL. Uh, you, you probably by now, uh, Greg, you might already kind of a sense that I don't believe really like it. there's one version of PPL. I don't believe we had one model that was working very well. And thankfully, I think Bob and Bob Lenz and Buck has been trying to improve. They're trying to work on high quality PPLs, which is really great. And I just saw your episode. Uh, I hadn't had a chance to listen to it, but I just saw that coming uh, coming out. Well, you're doing some amazing work. And again, I'm a huge fan. And, and folks, check out the, the website and, and follow Dr. Zhao on, on Twitter. He has so much to offer to help you along the way. And, uh, you know, I, we have a lot of principals, superintendents, uh, teacher leaders that listen to the podcast. Uh, but since, since you're an expert uh, in so many areas, if you could speak directly to policymakers, what advice would you give policymakers, maybe at the state level or the national level, as we think about changing some things and really creating better schools for kids? Well, I think there are several things. Number one, they really have to back away from over-prescribing what teachers do, what schools do, and what students do. Uh, I mean, really back away from policies to say they know the best, you know. And and also, I think back away from uh, really propaganda, talk about, let's say, we actually know what the future is and therefore we know what the future holds for our kids and then what will make our kids successful. That's, you know, back away from the, the silly concept of college and career readiness, for example. I mean, because we, if we don't know what the future holds, if individuals are active, autonomous individuals, how can they just be simply be standard, be ready for a future which we haven't created? And they are, we don't prepare our kids for the future. We prepare the kids to create the future. It's their future. I mean, we, so, and another thing I really think about uh, the policymakers need to have a really good understanding of the tough works in the school. You know, I, I was in the classroom. You know, we're dealing again with live human beings coming from all sorts of backgrounds, and uh, and this present tremendous challenges. Our teachers and our schools, our principals are not programming computers. We're dealing with the live human beings. You know, they actually have thoughts, they have passion, they have emotion. You know, they have families. They have uh, it's 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 a very different context. I think our our uh, our policymakers sometimes have a very naive view that you know I want these kids to be able to do this, and therefore you must do that. And you you can program into that. I think we have this very simple view of making machines and not helping human beings to grow. 
Well, I can't thank you enough for your valuable time. Uh, again, I, I followed your work closely for a long time. I'm a big fan. And, sir, it's really been an honor to talk with you today. Well, thanks, Rick. Well, uh, good luck with this. And let me know when you're done with this episode so I can help you uh, promote it. Okay. Thank you. And, folks, be sure to follow Dr. Zhao again on Twitter and go to his website and check out his books. You can find them on Amazon or on his website. And as always, folks, thanks for listening to the show. The Reimagined Schools podcast continues to build momentum as we've now had more than 10,000 downloads of the podcast. So let's keep fighting the good fight. And as always, folks, do what you can in your school community to create better schools for kids. Thank you for listening to the Reimagined Schools podcast with Dr. Greg Goins. Be sure to continue the conversation on social media with the Reimagined Schools hashtag and subscribe to the podcast at reimaginedschools.net. You can also help support this podcast by clicking on the listener support link and making a small monthly contribution. Contact Dr. Greg Goins today to invite him to speak or present at your next education conference or professional development day. Please send inquiries to drgreggoins at gmail.com or on Twitter at Dr. Greg Goins.